You're listening to The Final Take. We're your hosts. I'm Nelson Wynn. And I'm Tim Cox. This is a conversation podcast where we talk TV, film, and our love for it all. This episode, we discuss what we're watching, The Last Duel, and Station Eleven. Yes, we are. Yeah, Tim. (laughs) I was thinking back to our last episode. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, I I just want to thank you for the high school English lesson that we had. Well, I did study a lot of Shakespeare in college, so I have some knowledge. I was busting out a little bit of knowledge. That was just scratching the surface compared to what I've sat through and learned throughout my entire time. There's so much to Shakespeare besides the plays. He's a pretty interesting dude. But yeah, I, I did. I was after the last episode, I did recall a story uh, from, I had mentioned the, the Kenneth Branagh film, Love's Labor's Lost. Yeah. And Nathan Lane was actually in that because it was a musical. He's sings and I had actually seen him in the producers on Broadway and got a chance to meet him after the show one time. And I actually mentioned to him that I really enjoyed Love's Labor's Lost. You were fantastic in it. And the film didn't fare so well because it was a limited <laughs> release film. The funny thing about it was his response where he said, well, you were the one. So <laughs> yes. There I was. I was probably one of the few people who've actually watched that film. It's it's a great film. No question about it. Uh, definitely a, a good intro to Shakespeare. Without getting too heavy, Hamlet, everybody knows Hamlet. We'll probably be talking a little bit about Hamlet today. Yeah. Because of uh, yeah, so, Station so, Eleven. Yeah, exactly. What else have you been watching? Well, I finally finished Dexter. I Caught the last episode a little later than normal. I, I kind of plowed through and then I got stuck and wasn't able to watch the last episode. But I watched the last episode of Dexter. Fantastic ending. Redeemed the series. The last two seasons of Dexter were not very good. Very subpar. How they ended it was... Or at least up to the standards of the previous seasons. Yeah. I, I would say the first four seasons of Dexter were the most solid episodes of television that I've ever seen. The next two seasons, five and six, were, were were really good. I enjoyed them. And then the the final two up, the seasons weren't really fantastic. But and I didn't yeah. I didn't like how they revealed him to everybody and how he was how he, how they ended it. I didn't get that satisfaction feeling. It was more of a okay, I guess it's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll move well, on. Well let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about that finale. Yeah. My wife completely spoiled it for me. <laughs> oh man! So on your recommendation, yeah. So on your recommendation, she was binging it, mm-hmm. and she got all the way through. One night, I came in and she was right in the middle of the episode, and she's like, "Oh, come sit down. You you got to watch this." And I was like, "Well, what is it?" She's like, "Oh, it's Dexter, the the Dexter New Blood. It's the finale." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, <laughs> hold on, spoilers! I, don't, I haven't watched <laughs> I haven't one episode. Seen any of this?" I haven't seen any of this. And you're on the finale. She's like, yeah, it's so good. You got to watch it. And I was like, well, wait, wait, I don't want to watch it now. I want to, I want to see the other episode. She's like, no, you got to watch this. It's so good. And so I was asking her all kinds of questions. I was like, well, who's this kid? And why are they in the woods? Like, who's that lady? Like what's going on? And she's like, well, you got to watch. I said, yeah, exactly. Thank you. That's so funny. And so wrong at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I'm disappointed. I know, I know. Total spoiler alert on her part. Yeah. But someday I'll go back and watch the previous episodes in that season. Yeah, 
that would be something to do. It's worth it. It was it was a really good season. I liked it. It, it wasn't the norm. Not a lot of killing, but it was definitely a, a a good good season. Well done to end it. Nice. Yeah. Well, so what are you watching? I'm excited to someday watch it. Um, yeah. So you know, having watched, uh, we mentioned that we we're we're going to be reviewing Station Eleven. So mm-hmm. I was on HBO Max recently, and after plowing through that series, I was like, I I need something more. Mm-hmm. And what happens to be on there? was Righteous Gemstones. Oh. It's really good. Have have you watched it? I have not. I did kind of see it. I've seen the watch the trailer. I did see that they had a first season. Uh yeah. and sometimes if the first episode is really long, I'll be a little deterred to watch it. But <laughs> I It's quite the reason not to watch a show. I'll watch a movie. <laughs> Premiere is too long. I, I did see a meme where someone was talking about, "Hey, honey, do you want to watch a 10 hour long movie? No. Oh, okay. How about this television show? That's 10 episodes. Do you want to binge it all the way? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so it's on HBO max. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the trailer pitch for it would be like secession, but for evangelical Christians. Um, that's an interesting, I, I really am trying to think of a response to that. <laughs> and it's I, I I wouldn't have associated succession with it, but I knew the evangelical. There's always the evangelical Christian thing, and there's also money that's associated yeah. to that. So yeah, I, so, I can see. So that. it's yeah. So, so it's um. I imagine this is going to be a, a a future review for us, a, a future episode topic, but. It has John Goodman in it, mm-hmm. and Danny McBride, he stars in it, and Adam Devine, mm-hmm. he's in it. Yeah. So it follows a, a televangelist family, and it hits a lot like Secession, where you know it's the, the patriarch who is probably near his, you know, the end of his time leading the company or leading the the church, and and his kids who are right. not quite not quite ready for prime time, right? They're maneuvering to uh, to take his place, but unlike Secession, it's it's a bit of a send up uh, of televangelist too, like a, quite a bit of parody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't get too far into it if if it's going to be a possible future episode we topic, should. but it was good. Cool. It was really good. I I I binged that whole first season, and I'm already into the second season. I think the it premiered a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. so I think they're in like episode four or five or something. Okay. Like that. Yeah, I like Walton Goggins. I know he's in that. He did, he was oh, in the yeah. Unicorn. He's really good in it. I really yeah. liked that show, and that was yeah. it was a bummer. It was one of those shows that was really funny, but it it had a lot of heart to it as well. And it, he he played his normal self, which is he's a really nice guy. However, he's plays these slimy characters. And everything else that he's in, he plays an assassin. He plays a bad guy. He plays some kind of slimy character, but he's a real puppy dog in real life, from what I understand. So, all right, righteous gemstones. Yeah, good times. All right, well, let's uh, give that one a hand. <laughs> all right. Anything else? Um. Yeah, so we we covered this one in the trailer pitches. Okay. On Peacock, it's a true story with Ed and Randall. Yeah. I, I started watching that. It's Sober history. And, <laughs> yeah, it's basically. 
<laughs> so, so it's like drug history, but it's regular people telling the fantastical stories of their lives. And they have actors like uh, each week act out the story. So it's pretty good. I mean, you know, it's a fun little watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're looking to pass some time. If you've got Peacock, it's, you know, you should throw it on. It's pretty good. It's hosted by uh, Ed Holmes and Randall Park. And each episode has a couple of stories where they have a guest on and, it's like those stories that you have between your small group of friends or, or with your family that that's become like a family legend and, uh, and they act it out um, as, as the person is telling the story. Nice. So, it's a fun little watch. Good. All right. That's cool. I'll, I'll have to check it out. I mean, I really like drunk history. I kind of like that style. I love it when it's a little tongue in cheek when people are telling stories, but I, I just, I miss drunk history. Such a fantastic show. <laughs> so yeah. I'll, I'll definitely check this out. It, it's the uh, church going brother of drunk history. <laughs> yeah. Nicer. All that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's Manners. a good way to put it. Manners. <laughs> Fun stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, shall we roll into the, to the meat and potatoes here? Yeah, let's get into the topics. All right. For our first topic, we review the last duel directed by Ridley Scott. This film stars Matt Damon. Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, and Ben Affleck. Set in medieval France, this film tells the true story of the final judiciary duel. (laughs) You get the hard names today. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I need to channel my my freshman my freshman French here. All right, here we go. Jean Jean de Carouge, played by Damon. Challenge, challenges Jacques Legree, played by Adam Driver, to trial by combat after his wife, Marguerite, accuses Legree of rape. Oh, chante. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so this isn't exactly a new release. No. It, uh, it came out in theaters, I think, in December. Yes. And it didn't do all that well. Because everybody wanted to see Spider-Man the next week. <laughs> I think so. I think you know in in today's movie going kind of decision making, I imagine pre-pandemic times this probably would have been a watch for a lot of people. Oh yeah. But uh considering the times we're in is like should I put it all on the line to go watch If you're going <laughs> to risk your life a- to go see a movie, <laughs> you need to swing for the fences and wait for yeah. wait for Spider-Man. Because you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know. Was Toby Maguire, were, were they going to bring out Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield? <laughs> or do I s- just kind of mildly risk my life and see Matt Damon and Ben Affleck again? <laughs> Goodwill hunting in medieval France. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what a lot of people were thinking. Yeah. Because this, this is a pretty good movie. It was. I had read... Like, I mean, just like a random story came across my new f- news feed mm-hmm. that was saying like the new Ridley Scott movie, which bombed in theaters, is killing it on streaming. So I was like, mm-hmm. well, where is it streaming? Of course, HBO Max. That's right. And so checked it out. And um, so so what are your what are your first impressions? I liked it. Um, I, I can see why it bombed, really, aside of Spider-Man and people waiting. It, it didn't really get a good chance at good marketing. I mean, they. I, I think they really try to hang it all on Matt Damon and and Ben Affleck being co-writers on this film, but I 
think they really should have taken a different approach at marketing this movie a lot better because it was actually a really good movie. So it, it was, it had a lot of wow factors and very cerebral, you know, to keep my first impressions brief, cerebral yeah. and wow. And, and it was, it was really well done. It wasn't gladiator by any stretch, but it was still for its time period. It was good. Right. Ridley Scott making his return to kind of, so not necessarily sword and sandals, but sword and armor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you don't see a lot of medieval movies anymore that don't have dragons flying around or, you know, wizards in them. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, pre pandemic, this checks a lot of boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott, Matt Damon, and uh, Ben Affleck, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer. I mean, you know, these are all pretty big stars in their own right. Yeah. And, and, you know, for, you know, a, a pretty big director. And so, you know, I found it surprising that, you know, it didn't do all that well in theater. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not surprised that it didn't do well. I mean, I, COVID aside, it would have, it would have done very well had it not been next to a Marvel movie and just in general. Um, yeah. It's one of those things where the marketing wasn't there. Sure. It really was drowned out by the anticipation of, of Spider-Man. Yeah. Nobody really kind of looked at it and said, oh, I want to see this movie. I mean, yeah. other than looking at Matt Damon in a mullet saying, <laughs> yo, what's wrong with Matt? A Ben Affleck Co- yeah. and, a, and a little bulk. I know. Too. Come back to us, guys. Come back to us. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a pleasant surprise mm-hmm. where – we dismissed it as well. We didn't right. watch it in theater. Right. And so to see it pop up on streaming and to be able to watch it, I, I, I think, I think expectations coming in a little low mm-hmm. already. Right. Even outside of that, it was, uh, it was entertaining. Mm-hmm. So, so what worked for you? I, I thought a lot of things really worked. It, first, I, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm very picky about this is when they feel the need to give everybody a British accent to make, a film sound more sophisticated. Yes. But they did, did it in a way where they had a speech pattern of the time. They didn't contract words or anything like that, where they used modern speech. They really just went for a typical type of speech. They, they were very consistent regardless of whether you were an American or you were a, a Brit or somebody else that had some other type of accent. They they kind of honed it in and made it a little bit more relatable to where you things didn't bother you. It was like not yeah. like Tom Cruise in Valkyrie, where he's the only American accent and everybody else has a British accent. <laughs> right. You know, well, it's the wrong way. I to mean, do. it's set it's set in medieval France. Yeah. And so thank you for not giving having everyone try like bad British accents for a bunch of thank French you Ridley, people. Right. Ri- thank you, Ridley Scott and team for, yeah. for not having them speak in like English with bad French accents. So <laughs> right. <laughs> they said, you know what? We're not doing that. Right. We're not speaking French straight up accents. Go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I also thought that the, the look and the feel of the film really made it, really made me engrossed in this film. It made a quite yeah. a difference. It made me feel like I was there. They didn't overlight these castles where everything's super bright in a castle. 
when in reality they're you they're using candles to light everything and it's so naturally things are dark and people don't mm-hmm. do anything at night because everything's over with and and you have to use what daylight you have to work and and do the things you need to do but at nighttime <laughs> everything kind of winds down and people go to sleep you know? yeah well you know um the the castles i mean the this Everything about it, it felt very lived in. Yeah. Right. It totally. really pulled you in. But I mean, for me, I am a sucker for nonlinear storytelling. Mm-hmm. And the structure of of the film where they told the story from each perspective mm-hmm. and incredible that that is actually a true story, right? I mean, a- after after the movie, I, I I went into like Google mode mm-hmm. where I was going through the, the, the backstory and the history of, of this, uh, of this duel and the fact that all this really happened. Mm-hmm. And then by all accounts, it was, it was very controversial at the time. I mean, anytime there's an allegation of rape, mm-hmm. but then also in a case where it's like my word against yours, or he said, she said mm-hmm. um, for them to really dive into each person's perspective as they lived it, I think was really a really interesting way of portraying the story and, and all everything that happened, like all the events that led up to the, the accusation or the, or the rape and then everything leading up to the actual duel. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought was, I thought was really good. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. I thought it was well done. It was, it was very, uh, it comes back to that, saying where there are three sides to every story there's both sides and there's the truth yep and this is yep. kind of, that's kind of how they broke it down you have matt damon's side of it you had adam driver's side of it and then you had jody comer's side of it which was the truth and it was really good for them to kind of emphasize that that it was the truth because she was the victim it was her truth she stood by her truth and it just goes to show you how it was interesting even even in a time like that how different their own perception was of what happened. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And um, I lost what I was going to say. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what we get for podcasting yeah, late. At night. I know podcasting late at night, but well, I mean, I have to say Matt Damon seeing like he's the perfect husband. That's how he sees himself. Yes. Whereas yeah. he's really not a nice person. Right. And then Legree, uh, Adam, Adam Driver's character, mm-hmm. sees himself as a valiant kind of nobleman. Mm-hmm. And he's justified in his actions because she's saying no, but she really means yes. Right. Yeah, that's true. I'll tell you. So uh, what did not work for you? Well, overall, I enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. And so it's a bit of nitpicking. <laughs> but- Whereas more of a bit of a distraction, mm-hmm. and I think you mentioned it before, Matt Damon's mullet Ugh, and awful. Ben Affleck's Ben Affleck's bowl cut. All the while, Adam Driver still has that blown out hair from <laughs> yeah every movie he's from, been in. From, <laughs> he gets to keep this magnificent mane. Yeah, and, then, and and Ben Affleck's over here with party in the back going on. That's right. <laughs> it looks terrible. And I, I just think had they probably give them given them a better look, but their look matched their attitude. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Like, I, I mean, I, I can see that. It was just, 
it felt it felt so distracting. Yeah, and it was. You know, I, I mean, and, and when you think about and when you think about this role for both for both actors, neither of them known for period dramas. No, right, right. Um, and, and so I could probably see why why people saw that wait. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are in a medieval a medieval right. movie. <laughs> and then and then they've got these distracting haircuts. Yeah. Well, I that's you you raise a good point. That could also be a reason why people didn't go to see this. I don't think people bought into Matt Damon and Ben Affleck being in a period piece whereas Adam Driver has done that kind of work and the only time right. that Matt Damon has done that kind of work is when his films have bombed and he's been ridiculed relentlessly but ben affleck matt damon is not known for doing period work yeah yeah, yeah. so what what about you what, what didn't work for well, you speaking of ben affleck it didn't work for me really yeah you know what i used to be really down on ben affleck I used to think he was a terrible actor and i think around hollywood land i really liked his work because he really took a back seat let the the work he put in the work to be a, be a, an actor took the roles that he, that were right for him and not just take everything. And I thought he was a magnificent Bruce Wayne slash Batman, but yeah. I just don't think he was right for this kind of a role. He was a little bit too modern. Okay. And I don't think that type of person in that day and age would necessarily act like him. If you know, you know, I actually kind of liked him in this mm -hmm. role. So take a second, right? So uh, I can't remember his character's name, Pierre or something. Mm -hmm. But he's a cousin to the king, yeah. to King Charles, and you know he very much like you know in all of his actions, especially after the allegation, basically saying, "Look, we can take this to trial, and I'm going to be your judge, so you're good." Right. And the way that he played it, just what's the DGAF? Right. <laughs> just the way that he just kind of just very nonchalant in everything. Yeah. I actually kind of liked him in the role. Yeah. I, I get it. But at the same time, I just don't think it was period appropriate. I don't think it was. Yeah. I don't think it worked. I, I, I'm not saying he did a bad job. I just don't think his acting fit the period. He he definitely played it like a bro. Like he he brought it up a bit. If at any time he said bro, bro, <laughs> bro, <laughs> come on, come on in. We'll talk about this, bro. <laughs> Let's go, bro. <laughs> You're good, bro. <laughs> that's right. And he was the only one dropping f bombs in this entire film. That's that's another thing that kind of made it. It kind of took took it out for me. Yeah. So I just, I was like, ah, I don't, I don't really think so. A little distracting. Yeah, for you. it was a little distracting. So. All right. But yeah. But all in all, I thought it was pretty decent. Yeah. yeah. Well, to take this back into what worked, mm -hmm. how about that? The final act, the 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 actual duel. Oh man, there was like I mean four parts to this film. Yeah. Matt Damon's view, Adam Driver's view, Jodie Comer's view, and the duel. And the duel, my goodness, that, that duel. Was brutal, man. I, look, I would put that up against anything, any other action movie that 
Ridley Scott has done, which has been many. Yeah. And, and even Gladiator. Right. Just the, I mean, brutal, brutal action. Yeah. And, you know, very gritty, the way that they shot it, some of the angles that mm-hmm. they had. The dirt getting um, kicked up into the lens. You feel like you're just oh, sitting yeah. there, you know? You feel like you're right in the battle. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, you know, medieval battles, because they were in full armor, metal armor. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really had to hack and slash each yeah. other to death. Well, <laughs> And they really portrayed that well. When they were covering some of the wars that they fought, you know, you see Matt Damon knock – was it Matt? Yeah, it was Matt Damon. Knocks somebody down. He rips off the the armor that's the chain that goes under the yeah. armor. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Puts it around his fist and just starts beating the guy with it. <laughs> yes. You know, and that wasn't the, that wasn't even the final duel. I mean, these were little brief snippets of of war scenes that they were in. Right, but right, it was it was incredible, and I would put that against any any Ridley Scott film as far as that, sure. that, that the final duel that they had in this film. Was a yeah, fantastic it was, scene. It was just so, just it was brutal. Yeah, and it spoke. <laughs> it spoke volumes at the end of how it concluded and the winner. How the winner kind of uplifted themselves through this scenario. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but yeah, it was it was yeah. very. A lot of things just kind of came out visually without any dialogue at the very end, and it was just right. wow. You can definitely see why it was one of the final duels Mm -hmm. in France's history. Certainly a spectacle, but you know, just how, I mean, the brutality of it, the, you know, a fight to the death really. Right. And just the way that they portrayed it in film. I mean, pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. It was good. All right. Yeah. So what's your, and anything else in the last duel? The, no, it's all right. So, so Tim, yes. What's your final take? You know what? I'm going to say it's a stream. I'm not going to say yeah. it's a straight watch because just because it's a, it's a film that you can live without, you don't have to rush right out and go to see it, but you should see it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's an important message just in modern times of how, how we're dealing with sexism and, and rape allegations and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's very relevant now, just as relevant now as, as, as any time. Especially back in the 1300s. Right. And, and <laughs> it was very well done. And it was, it, I think it should be, people should watch it. Yeah. No, I, I am, I'm a watch on this one. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, for the visuals and, and the performances. Right. I, I would, I would say this is a watch. Go, if you can find it on a big, uh, the biggest screen possible, you you want to project it at home. I oh, yeah, the last scene. You got like a sixty inch, sixty inch screen somewhere. I say, I say, watch. I watched it on a seventy five inch screen, man. That's what I'm saying. So that especially that last duel. That's what I'm talking about, good. man. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I liked it. All right, well, sounds awesome. So moving on. Well, all right. <laughs> the last duel. Oh, hey. Oh, you're too kind. I know, right? Okay. All righty. So, our main topic this week, we review HBO Max limited series, Station Eleven. Based on the book written by Emily St. John Mandel, Station Eleven was created by Patrick Somerville and stars an ensemble cast that includes Mackenzie Davis, Himesh Patel, Matilda Lawler, Gael Garcia Bernal, and Laurie Petty. The series takes place in post-apocalyptic world, ravaged by a mutated flu, 
that wipes out 90% of the population. Station 11 spans multiple timelines that tell the stories of a group of survivors near the Great Lakes who may have more in common than they realize. Mm. Tim, your first impressions. Fantastic. Oh, well, uh, let yeah. me, hang on. Let me give you two first impressions because okay. the first episode was vastly different from the rest of the series. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to say. It, 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 it kind of sprinkled in yeah, they, certain aspects of the, the remainder of the series. There were little flashes of what was going on, but it really kind of transitioned at the very end of the first episode. So I'm going to say interesting slash fantastic and amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, talk about pleasant surprises mm-hmm. on HBO Max. Yeah. I mean, we so we covered this in in the trailer pitches where, you know, the first trailer that hit on this, I mean, we hadn't seen it, heard about it before. So it seemed like it was, you know, playing with time a bit across multiple timelines right. or maybe there's like an aspect of, you know, time travel or something in it. H- having seen it, I mean, it was so good. It was fantastic. I, let me tell you something. My wife doesn't listen to this podcast, so I think we're okay. Uh-huh. Uh, I I binged this series in like two sittings. Wow. Yeah, it took me about four. <laughs> and and you know, you know, most of my content consumption takes place in the wee hours of the night. So there's a couple nights in a row where I was up incredibly late watching this, where it was like. I was just looking for something to watch. I was like, oh, Station Eleven just is out. And so I started, I was like, I'll watch the first episode. And then mm-hmm. after the first episode, it's like, next thing I know, I'm on like episode five. And it's like, oh, who needs sleep anyway? Gosh. Right. Sleep? <laughs> eh, it's okay. I'll get it tomorrow night if I don't have to and watch then, the rest of know, this. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I binged this straight through. Mm-hmm. Um, again. I am a sucker for long, non nonlinear storytelling, yeah. and this series just took it up to eleven, yeah. In terms of you know jumping between between you know timelines and mm-hmm. you know telling each character story from so it's a it's a pandemic, mm-hmm. and given the times that we're in, I mean, very prescient. I mean, the book came out like ten years ago or something like that, and. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they started filming the series before we knew about anything about COVID. So, in the series, they were living it just as their characters were. Right. And just the way that the way that they tell the story across all the different timelines and just drips of information yeah. where they, they'd kind of jump back and forth and you'd see a scene several different times where each time they kind of revealed more and more about what happened and what transpired. Right. It's almost kind of like how, how memory, how your memory works where you remember snippets and sometimes you remember a little bit more and a little bit more. And it certainly reveals kind of how people behave or the decisions that they make um, in the present time of the, of the series by their actions previously. So mm-hmm. I, I thought it was, I thought it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was the the timeline thing was amazing. I'm going to say three things that actually worked really well for me. Yeah. Number one, above all, it left you the way the storytelling was done. It just really left you with wanting so much more. You wanted those sure. reveals. They held it back. They just made you really want to get next to the next episode. The first one, right. not so much because they really had to kind of set up 
the Kiki or Kirsten, who's the same person, mm-hmm. um, Kirsten and Jivan, uh, just to get it started, their their mm-hmm. relationship and how they connected at first, and everything's yeah. starting to happen. They didn't do right. too much going back and forth in time, but to compensate for that, they did these little flashes of what it was in the future. But sure. they gave it to you at the end, and yeah. and and they flash forward to present day, which present day was twenty years into the pandemic or 10, 20 yeah. years into the new world, so to speak. Right. right and right. giving you the information that, that you need at the time that you need it was above all was the most amazing thing that worked, but using time to do that was yeah. incredible. And I don't think any other film or television series or anything like that has, has ever played with time so perfectly. It than this. is, is Christopher Nolan esque. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, just the way that they played with time throughout the entire run right. of the series. Well, I mean, yeah, very um, Christopher so Nolan-esque. But if it was a little bit more Christopher Nolan, you'd be wondering which time period it was in. But, you know, like <laughs> Dunkirk, where you're like, oh, you're halfway through the film, and you're like, oh, I get it now. The plane's the end. This is the middle. The middle's the beginning, you know. but Like, oh, it's going backwards. Oh, that's why the clock is ticking. They they did so so well and yeah. and, and and the third thing I would say that worked magnificently is they really fulfilled that promise to follow through with every important character yeah. and to oh, yeah. just come full circle in this they you know it wasn't necessarily tied up in a little bow tie but yeah. they came full circle and they left you completely satisfied at sure the end. I, I mean the way it jumped from kind of character to character mm-hmm. and, and told their story from like the early days of the pandemic all the way 20 years later. I mean, I think there's like three right. primary timelines. It's like day one. Um, I think it's day 100 and then 20 years later. Yeah. Um, and then they kind of sprinkle in kind of jumps forward and back, mm-hmm. um, you know, further before the, the day one. Yeah. Um, but the, you know how they weave those threads of each person's memory and 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 their actions over the course of the series is so good. And then you mentioned before how they kind of weaved Hamlet into yeah. into the story and, mm-hmm. and you know kind of other pop culture references where there's a scene where there's two characters where they can't find a way to communicate to each other except through running a scene from Hamlet. Right. And I thought it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Just, just the way that they use that, yeah. This, this play is like, you know, not just a storytelling device, but a way for the characters to communicate. Yeah, and then, you know, it's funny, so good because we've mentioned this early on in the podcast where we've talked about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead several times. Oh yeah, and it not only comes up in this film because the central person is is yeah Arthur Arthur and Clark is an actor were yeah both in a production of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, but they were also, you know, they also kind of use that trope of the traveling symphony, which is a theater troupe Mm -hmm. essentially of musicians and actors that just put on Shakespeare plays and travel around the Michigan peninsula, I guess. And they have that kind of take on it where it's, kind of like the story that on the side of the real story, 
but everything yeah. is like you're hitting the story from every angle. So you're still getting every single side. So it's a little bit of Hamlet. It's a little bit of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And it's an interesting take on all of this. And they utilize those plot points in Hamlet to really kind of flesh out this story. And like you said, yeah. using the actual scene from Hamlet so two people can communicate with each other is just, it was absolutely brilliant use of that material. Yeah. And even a couple of times where you, you actually get to see the troupe performing Hamlet, mm-hmm. the way that certain lines or, or kind of, I, I guess it's more of like the, the actor's process mm-hmm. of tapping into their memories and, and, and their feelings to give their performance. Right. I thought it was really cool how they kind of portrayed that yeah. in, in the movie. But yeah. They use, those, the they use those parts of Hamlet to kind of underscore what was happening at that moment between those two people. Cause they did it again yeah. between the girl who was kind of a side character who ended up playing Hamlet in the one scene. And I think she, Alex. Well, she, yeah, she, she played Ophelia most of the time, I guess. Yep. And so yep. they, she was Ophelia most of the, in most of the performances, yes. but and she swapped in the, in the one performance. Yeah. In, in one performance, they let her be um, Hamlet. Right. I thought it was so good how they weave that in. Mm-hmm. And then at some points it really reminded me of lost. And, and that, I mean, whether you like lost or not, I loved lost, but the way that they use the score where you could kind of hear the score mm-hmm. coming in and then it would lead up to like a really emotional, emotional moment between the characters, whether it was like a reunion or is it like a revelation mm-hmm. or something? And the score would just come in. It was just like, bang. Yeah. And it just felt so emotional. Right. It really. <laughs> just the way that lost the same exact way that lost it. And there were times while I was watching this here. So I was like, Oh man, this like totally takes me back to that time when I was watching lost yeah. and just how it felt in those moments mm-hmm. where, I mean, it really uplifted the performance and made those emotional moments just really hit. Well, I did not love lost, but actually how they used the music in this was incredibly fantastic. And it was almost a uncredited character in this, sure. in this this series because of how they used that. And even when they brought in music, songs, contemporary songs, to place it in, in certain scenes, it was done perfectly. Another thing I'll say that I really appreciated about this show is it's a post-apocalyptic story. Right. And generally, when you see these types of films or shows, I mean... It's like following the main hero as they try to find a cure or mm-hmm. try to save the day. Right. And really is following, I mean, in any type of story like this, it would be like, you mentioned before, like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. It was an offshoot of the main story. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and yet the stakes seem so large. Yeah. And then instead of telling kind of that main, like, how do we how do we find a cure? It was more of like, how do we redeem ourselves? Mm-hmm. Right. And True. the connections between humans and how art and music really bring us together yeah. and strengthen those ties between us yeah. as humans. I thought that was an incredible way mm-hmm. telling the story where it was like the, the things that we do to each other, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, especially to the people that we love the most, the decisions that we make, right where 
they're self-serving and and in the first episode it presents you with that kind of moral dilemma of you know that the the world is about to end you meet the stranger do you save them do you bring them along with you mm-hmm. right you know that that's kind of that moral dilemma in the in the first in the first episode yeah and, and then kind of the decisions that are made along the way that tear us apart that and then eventually how we redeem ourselves to come back together and i thought that was i thought that was really great um yeah I, it was it was a real delight in terms of seeing this type of post post apocalyptic story mm-hmm. told in this way i thought it was cool. yeah well you know mentioning post apocalyptic um i completely agree with you on that but i have to say the things that they talked about in this series absolutely resonated with me because there's a lot of things that need certain continuity to keep, to carry on. You know, you have to mm-hmm. have that continuity to carry on. And you see a lot of the post-apocalyptic things that just essentially they flip a switch and the world has ended. Everything shut down. Right. There's no more electricity. There's no more internet. There's no more of this, that what we have is essentially in this, they even address it where they talk about, we still have electricity running. Uh, right. This is when we're going to run out of the internet and this, or when the internet's going to shut down. This is when electricity is going to shut down and we're, we'll be done and we won't be broadcasting anymore and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 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 You know, they really kind of hit that very well. And because there is some type of continuity to all of these services that we receive that we take for granted every day where you have to keep the government running in case of pandemic in case of natural disaster or in case of terrorist attack you have to keep the electricity running you have redundancy these things are important to the mission and now that 90 percent of the world has essentially perished that's when these things start to break down and, and they addressed it perfectly instead of just kind of flipping the switch and saying, guess what? Plane crashed in Chicago. <laughs> We're now out of power. You're two days into the <laughs> right. pandemic. So, right. See you later. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely could appreciate that because it gave a sense of realism to yeah. the situation. And, and sure. I really like that. That was fantastic. One, one other thing I mentioned. Yeah. And these seem like little moments kind of throughout. Mm-hmm. And then when they came to the culmination of one of the, one of the character stories, you kind of finally figured out the, the whole picture. But so we mentioned how they jump between timelines. Yeah. I, one of the things that I loved is how they would layer the timelines where a character was, had some sort of issue that came up. And mm-hmm. while they were kind of rushing to kind of solve that problem, mm-hmm. they could hear kind of voices and it was them from the past as like an, another event in their lives that was driving them in that situation. Yeah. The way they layered all of those events, mm-hmm. you know, without having to fully jump between timelines, right. I, I think was really it clever. It was so well done. In exactly the way that kind of memory mm-hmm. drives us. And they talk about trauma and like inherited trauma a lot, mm-hmm. right? In, in the show. Yeah. The way that trauma in your past drives your actions in the present. Yeah. I thought they portrayed that so well. Yeah. There's a scene where 
the main character, Kirsten, she's looking for her friend who's not around. And so she's like kind of rushing. And then you kind of hear this girl screaming and you're thinking, oh, it's her friend screaming. But it was actually a memory that she was having that was kind of driving her like, oh, I got to find my friend. Yeah. I thought it was really neat how yeah. they did that. It was, yeah, it was so well done. So I, I, I definitely thought that it wasn't the strongest plot in general. It was how the story was told is really sure. what made it brilliant. And it was, yeah. you know, bringing yeah. it all full circle. And it's not just a typical three act structure where you have yada, yada, yada. Here's the rising action. Here's the denouement and the, you know, all that other kind of stuff. It was really just using the time going back and forth in time, strengthen that storylines, talking about survival, mm-hmm. how we needed people, how we needed to get back to some type of a normal civilization, even in this world that we're in. It was just so well done. Yeah. 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 So is there anything that didn't work? No, there's nothing that really yeah. didn't work for me. It it was all well done. And like yeah. I said, it wasn't, some strong epic story what made it good was how it was told how it was mm-hmm. crafted it was very well thought out it was very well constructed and that's what made it really strong yeah same yeah. like i liked the everything of the all of it mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah good. yeah i would watch this again i i, I would yeah. i would too mm-hmm. and I, I mean even so the title of the show, Station Eleven, mm-hmm. in the story, there's um, a a graphic novel called Station right. Eleven that drives a lot of this as well. Mm-hmm. So like Hamlet, weaving Hamlet through it, but also this graphic novel that that drives a lot of the characters. Yeah, and even that was so well mm-hmm. done. And if and to think, you know, they basically had to write, or the I mean, I guess for the novel, the original novel, mm-hmm. she had to write. An entirely secondary story yeah, that yeah. drove the main story. True. And hey, let me stop you right there because we we actually covered this in the trailer pitches. I don't know, a month or so ago, yeah, or whenever it was, two months ago. And what our perception of this limited series was is that it was completely different from what it turned out to be. Because I didn't we make a comment about it? People going into a a subway station oh, yeah. for, and then coming yeah. emerging yeah. after 20 years. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, so even, even in the trailer, cause we, we thought it was like, you know, like a subway station. 11. Right. Right. It's not <laughs> station number 11. Yeah. How could we, I know, but you know, and I keep we saying, I keep saying limited series and I'm, I'm using the correct current verbiage, but do we not use mini series anymore? No, it's limited series limited now series. because it adds more prestige. Oh, it's more sophisticated. It is more sophisticated. I mean, I, I, I think I think the award shows still count them as Minis- call them yeah. mini series, but limited series just sounds so much, so much more official. Yeah, I guess, but so much more prestige. Well, if everybody had British accents, could you still call it a mini series? Because you get more, a little bit more sophistication <laughs> out of it because everybody has a British accent, right? <laughs> I was getting ready to try a British accent. I was like, nope. Well. <laughs> It's, it ended up sounding Australian. Station Eleven. <laughs> well, that sounds the same. Really. No, <laughs> no, don't do it. And this is our final take. If you enjoyed this show, 
please subscribe, <laughs> like, and or give us five stars and a glowing review. <laughs> so our podcast can reach more people and all that blah, blah, blah. So there we have it. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so what, so chap, what is your final take? <laughs> Would your final take uh, be a watch? A stream is my- <laughs> obviously not a skip. Had <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little my training. Final- I know, I know. I, I can hear it. Yeah, thank I can you. tell. I, I was like, a little who's bit this? more northern, northern. I was England. like, who's this British man that just jumped on our podcast? Yeah, I, I listen to a lot of <laughs> Manchester bands. So, who, who, who's the British man that just walked into your room? <laughs> My name is Malcolm. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so my final take, Tim. Uh-huh. This is a watch. As much as a watch as there could be. I concur. Like, you got to watch this. <laughs> I know it's streaming, so that's kind of the, the default. Yeah. But go watch this. Yeah. I, you, will, you will not be disappointed. You know, this is, this is one that I, there are movies that as we've become more pop culture oriented in our, in our youth, growing mm-hmm. up in the MTV generation. We grew up in... The eighties, the greatest, the greatest pop culture generation. Yes, and there are call back to a previous episode, right? And there are so many things that I actually want to share with my kids, and and you have to wait to the appropriate age. This is something that I definitely will share with the kids, and this is you know I read my kids Harry Potter, and then we watch the movie after we finish the book, and and this is one that would probably we would probably when my kids are old enough. Maybe read together, especially having gone through a pandemic and, oh, and yeah. had their I mean, had their lives adjusted. But you know, I have to mention that we I had just had a conversation with somebody about really great content and and a lot of our speaking of pop culture, a lot of our movie viewing is tainted by the comic book films of, of today because there are so mm-hmm. many. Yes. And it's interesting because I've seen a lot of things that I've accidentally found out about. And I mean, the last duel, it got some promotion and stuff like that, but really wasn't, it really wasn't a tentpole film. Yeah. And I have to say that there are films out there. There are shows out there. Limited series are really, they're taking the reins today. In, the, yeah. in this day and age, but but the good content is out there. You just have to look for it because Netflix sure. isn't going to promote the film mixtape, but they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> let you put it on your page if it if it's part of your algorithm. Yeah. The thing is, is this is this is a great series. This isn't blasted up there for everybody to. Uh, I, I I'm not even sure if it got any Golden Globes or anything like that. I don't pay attention too much to that kind of stuff anymore. It was just such a well-done, well-crafted show, and it's a definite watch for me. I can't wait to show this to my kids when they're of age, yeah. probably when they're teenagers or something, and we can all sit down and read the book and discuss and then watch the series and compare. So it's I can't wait. That's this is definitely one of those ones that I, I I will revisit in the future. Nice, yeah. Tim, one last question for you. You got a you got a haiku review for us? I sure do. 
Yes! <laughs> let's hear it. I changed this one up, too. Okay, let's hear it. Station 11. I am still processing this. I will watch again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and there we have it. So good. Uh, Originally, I, I was going to cop out I and am- say Station 11 twice because it's five syllables. <laughs> but... No, that's good. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I am still processing this. Yes. I am still processing this. It's just one of those things that you watch that you just keep thinking about. Well, you know, I, I mentioned that the original viewing, I I, I I binged this in two sittings. After we right. discussed it, saying like, hey, let's do an episode on this. Mm-hmm. I started watching it again. Ugh, it's so good. Yeah. There's so See, much stuff that I missed the first time. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I did doze off because, you know, when I do watch late, I really try to focus and, and I really have a hard time trying to stay up late at night because I get up so early. But there was a scene where someone gets mauled by a wolf. And I don't want to mention who it is because it's you, you, every little piece of what happens to everybody is is some kind of reveal throughout this entire thing. Yeah. And I dozed off about 10 minutes before that happened. Uh, uh, no, I didn't. I, I a half an hour went by and I, I woke up at the wolf jumping out yeah. and it just, I just jolted up and then I had to rewind the thing like 29 minutes and we'll start watching it all over again. <laughs> you know, real quick, something that we didn't discuss uh-huh. in the work. We didn't even talk about the performances. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. So sorry. Bringing this back. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were so many incredible performances in this. Mackenzie Davis, mm-hmm. yeah, she's been great in everything that that I've seen that that she's been in. There is a show that she was on as uh, Halt and Catch Fire. Uh huh. I'm so it. good in that. Like she was a highlight of the Terminator movie that she was in. So good in this. And then um, what's his name? Himesh Patel. Yeah. Who played uh, Jeevan? Oh, he's so. I good. mean, incredible. He's amazing. Did you watch yesterday? <laughs> Yes. He was so good in that. He's, yeah. he's a great actor. Yeah, that was, that was good. But even David Cross, going to David Cross, Lori Petty, I haven't seen her since she was in the Polly Shore movie uh, in the army now. You know? <laughs> yeah. And she was such a tank, 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 girl. tank girl. And she was just such a staple in the early 90s. And I haven't seen her. Mm-hmm. And she was fantastic. And it was just the, the it, I think the performances go without saying, though, because everybody was so incredible. Oh yeah, that, and, and the the young Kiki. Yeah. Oh, she was amazing. What yeah. was her name again? Her name was uh, Matilda Lawler. Yeah. 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 She was so good. And and who was the one? What was the one? They all had one thing in common. What did they all have? It in was. Common? Uh, it was um, Arthur Leander. Yeah. They all had a connection to him. Yeah. And the, and it wasn't. Hey, it's the the ties that the ties that bind us, right? It's yeah. It's six degrees of separation. That's right. That's right. So, so good. Yeah. And we Anything else? That's it. Uh, go watch this. Go watch that. Sh- go watch that show. Go watch it's it. so good. Yeah, definitely. Highly recommend from this side. So, and that is our final take. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, like, and give us five stars plus a glowing review so our podcast can reach more people and we can tell our wives that we are doing this for them. <laughs> doing it for them sure are yeah 
Thanks again to Tyler Hobbs of Space Ranger for the original music. Check out Space Ranger exclusively on Spotify. Email us at thefinaltakepod at gmail.com if you have something to say. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thefinaltakepod as well as Twitter and Instagram at thefinaltakepod. And episodes are posted on our website, thefinaltakepod.com. Join us next week where we discuss more fantastic films and TV shows. If you have any ideas, drop us a line. If you have any recommendations, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know. Until then, we'll see you next time. (laughs) 